What's going on, guys? Welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany, and I am here to bring you all things true crime. So welcome if you're brand new to the show today. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you are a returning listener, love you guys. Thank you for joining me. Today's episode is going to be very dark and disturbing. And I know, I know, all my episodes are, I tend to go with the most, um, gruesome crime cases and that's because those are the ones that stick to me those are the ones I need to learn about and just need to know more about and try to gain an understanding of the human mind and the brain and how this all really happens so today's episode is just going to um probably depress you so I know I shouldn't really say that. I know depression's not like really an emotion, but you get what I'm saying. Like it's going to make you sad and it's, I know you guys are like me. I know you like watching true crime shows and true crime documentaries. You like listening to true crime podcasts. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. And those are my favorite things to listen to, watch, and I love horror movies. So clearly I'm a very morbid person and chances are you guys are too. Otherwise you wouldn't be here. But you know there's always those cases um, that just sit with you for a long time. And they leave you just like hollowed out. And you're like, wow, wow, that just like sucked the life out of me. Like whatever soul I had, it's just gone for right now. It went on a vacation. It needs to become like humanized again and find the light um, because all the darkness just came in. Well that is what this episode is and honestly I've been procrastinating it because the story just left me so upset Um, but nonetheless it's so important to talk about this story because as you guys know in all of my cases all of my episodes there's always something to be learned and always something we could take with us to hopefully live safe lives or to educate our friends and our loved ones to live safer lives, to be careful, more cautious. Of course, not to live like in a state of panic all the time and fear all the time, but you know, just these little added tidbits that you keep in the back of your mind to make sure that you don't ever get stuck in situations like this or your loved ones don't either. So just buckle up buttercup because it's sad. Today we're gonna talk about the murder of six-year-old Alicia McPhail, and she was murdered by a 16-year-old boy. And we're gonna get into details about him later, but kid-on-kid crime always, like, kills me. And I mean, like, I shouldn't use that word because, like, no pun intended, obviously. But it really does. It makes me so upset. It's just something about it. It's just really disturbing when a child, well, a teenager kills a youth okay that it just is what it is it bothers me so oh gosh thank you for joining me for today's episode so you know what let's just dive right into it you guys heard me ramble enough um that's your cue to go brew yourself a cup of coffee pour yourself a glass of wine or perhaps take a shot of whiskey because as always these cases are not for the faint of heart thank you so much for listening Yes, welcome everyone. 
So I need you to get into the mood. I want you to understand the setting of today's case. We're going to take it back to 2018. And I'm bringing you to the Isle of Butte. This is an island off the coast of Scotland. It is beautiful, gorgeous. The views are full of happy families, happy people, and this silver blue looking water. And it just laps up against the shore so nicely. And when the sun reflects off the water just right, it bursts into these golden hues that just radiate across the island and makes for the most perfect sunset. The Isle of Butte was a magnificent place for families to live, for children to be raised, for vacations to be spent. And all of that was just taken away in the summer of 2018. Alicia McPhail was six years old, and she was the daughter of Georgina Lochrane and Robert McPhail. Her parents were both extremely young when she was born, and just like a lot of young couples, their relationship didn't last, and they split up. Robert would end up dating a new girlfriend, and her name was Toni McClellan. And I could be butchering her last name, and if I am, I'm so sorry, but... Rob and Tony were going out. They were supposed to go camping with friends and everything. And Alicia's grandparents lived on the Isle of Butte. And that was Robert's parents. So Alicia loved spending time with her grandparents. Not only was the Isle of Butte just the perfect place for summer vacation, but Alicia was heavily involved in dance. And she had a lot of friends on the island. And she loved, loved, loved time spent with her grandparents. So Robert dropped Alicia off to spend a vacation week with them. And it was supposed to be great. It was supposed to be safe. And they were supposed to make memories that they would cherish forever. But instead, something completely and utterly dreadful would take place in this house. Three days into Alicia's stay, her grandparents would be putting her to bed. And they would put on her favorite TV show, Peppa Pig. And... This little girl probably went to bed thinking about this big pink pig that she loved so much. She thought about dance and her friends and this little girl who just loved gymnastics and baking cakes with her grandparents was about to be stripped of all of that because a monster would enter her home around 2 a.m. Aaron Campbell was a 16 year old teenager And he was extremely popular at his school. He was good looking, had this dark hair, this like really nice creamy white porcelain like skin, no acne, no nothing. Like he was really well off for a teenager, you know, everything you'd want to be, everything a guy would want to look like in high school. Okay. He had a lot of friends and was extremely social. He was on YouTube. He made videos of him jumping on trampolines and doing parkour and all this other stuff. And from the outside, by all means, Aaron Campbell looked like a normal 16 year old boy. But that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, some of Aaron's friends knew that he had some difficulties, especially at home. He never got along with his mom. They were constantly fighting. His father was never around because he was working hard to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. And a lot of the time, Aaron was secluded by himself. And I mean, he did have the company of his mother, but she was an alcoholic, a chronic alcoholic, even though she would deny, deny, deny and say she wasn't. 
her and Aaron had a tumultuous relationship and really there was little but anything other than fighting okay there wasn't a whole lot of lovey-dovey parts of this relationship and we don't know too much about it we don't know um, what really drove her to drink so often or what where this addiction really stemmed from but people outside in the community would say that Mrs. Campbell was actually extremely pleasant she was really friendly really nice and really well known in the community and just to put this into perspective a lot of the families that lived on the Isle of Butte were wealthy these homes were pretty expensive so Aaron's father had a really good job and a lot of the times his parents weren't home or his mom was belligerent and not really functioning enough to be able to tell him no you can't do this or no you can't do that so there was a lot of him leaving the house on his own accord coming when he felt like it and there was no one really to stop him the only thing his mom like didn't absolutely approve of was the fact that he smoked weed and interesting because you know is marijuana as bad as alcohol I mean I guess the debate could go on and on and some people will say no some people will say yes but regardless you would think that if his mom wasn't okay with smoking with him smoking weed she wouldn't be okay with him really doing any type of drinking or drugs well Aaron had a lot of parties at home so I don't know if she really knew I don't know if she's passed out on the couch somewhere not realizing that there were parties going on but needless to say they were happening and at the high school they had just finished all of their testing and their exams so Aaron was like, it's time to party. I'm going to have people over and I don't really give a shit. So that's just what he did. On July 1st of 2018, he had people over and it started off great. He had a great time until he polished off a bottle and a half of wine on his own. He claimed he wasn't drunk, but some of his friends would end up finding him in his room and he was saying that he was extremely suicidal. Now, this wouldn't be the first time Aaron had said something like this, but they always took him as someone who was extremely dramatic or someone who just was always trying to seem edgy and like, I guess, mysterious, whatever. So they didn't really take it seriously. They're like, ah, it's Campbell. He'll be fine. Like, whatever. Um, but they were there for him. And his one friend didn't leave his side until he was like, listen, I'm going to I'm going to go hit up my weed dealer. I'm going to get some pot and I'm just going to smoke and hopefully sleep this off. And he was just really going to wallow in his own pity, I guess you could say. So the scary part is that we never know what's going on in a person's mind. And nobody really knew the depravity and darkness that was engulfing Aaron Campbell's mind. It I couldn't even imagine what it looked like in there. But needless to say, Aaron would end up reaching out to his weed dealer. And now they didn't really have a great history because Aaron accused him, well, his dealer, of giving him bad weed. Now, the Isle of Butte is small and we live in a small world. Turns out Campbell would get his marijuana from Robert McPhail. That's right, Alicia's father. So his weed dealer was Rob. So he hit up Rob and was like, yo, can I get some weed? Like, I need something, like whatever. And he wasn't hearing from Rob. So he was getting a little antsy, like, okay, let me hit up Tony because obviously Tony's dating Rob. Maybe she can get him to get me some. Like, I know, um, you know, they're probably mad at me because I was accusing him of giving me bad shit, but I really, I'm desperate. I need this. I'm going to do it. So he reaches out to Tony. Tony doesn't get back to him. He's reaching out to a bunch of weed dealers and no one's getting back to him. 
So he's getting a little annoyed. And Aaron is really used to getting what he wants. You see, like I said, Aaron was extremely popular in high school. He didn't really have parents that were around to tell him no. He had a lot of girlfriends. At the time, he had one girlfriend. But at 16 years old, he already had a high body count. He was engaging in a lot of sex. So what Aaron wanted, Aaron got. And when he wanted it, he had it. So Aaron being drunk and sad and in his feels, I guess you could say, and of course with a depraved and evil mind, he was like, I'm going to go over to Rob's house. Fuck it. I don't live too far away. I'm going to break in and I'm going to go steal me some weed. And that's what you get for not answering me. So um, Aaron would end up getting the biggest steak knife from his kitchen and he'd bring it with him for protection. Now, I don't really know why he would think he would need to protect himself. Um, I think that he should have never have um, in the first place been thinking about going to steal weed, but um, it leads me to believe that clearly he had a bad relationship with Rob, and he did owe Rob money because, like I said, Aaron accused him of giving him very like bad weed, so he didn't pay him. So he owed Rob money, and he didn't care. He was going to do whatever he needed to do, even if that meant engaging in some violence to get this goddamn weed. So clearly he's not in the right frame of mind and he also doesn't have the most normal brain, I guess we could say. So he heads over to Rob's house, which is really Rob's dad's house, but he knows where he lives and he knows he's there for the summer. It's a small island, like I said, so everybody kind of knows everything. So it's approximately 2 a.m. when Aaron reaches the front porch of this house now, Isle of the Isle of Butte, like I said, extremely safe and everything to the point where people didn't lock their doors. Let me tell you something. I don't care. I am locking my door. I don't care if I live in the freaking goddamn Disney World, Cinderella Castle. I'm locking my damn door. But it just goes to show that the Isle of Butte, people knew each other. People loved their neighbor. Okay? Love thy neighbor. That's what they say. And on the Isle of Butte, they took it to an extreme. They really did love each other. Nothing bad ever happened. And Aaron Campbell just had to go and fuck that up, I guess, for everyone. So he ends up ditching the knife. He's like, ah, whatever. He realized that the door was unlocked. So maybe he wouldn't have to take this weed by force. Since the door was open, he could probably just slip into Rob's room and grab some weed and be like on his way out. So he was like, cool, doors open. I mean, they must want company if they're leaving their door opened. Crazy. So Aaron opens the door and he walks in. And the first thing he notices is a bedroom. When he creaks open the door, he sees there's a little girl laying in the bed. It's Alicia McPhail, six-year-old Alicia, sleeping peacefully, safely and sound in her grandparents' home, snuggled up in a bed with Peppa Pig playing in the background. So, Aaron would go on to later tell authorities that when he saw Alicia, he just knew he had to kill her. It didn't become about the weed anymore. It became about killing this little girl. Aaron would end up picking up Alicia, kind of holding her like a baby, and he would walk out of the home with the little girl. She had no shoes on, she just had her pajamas, and he set off onto the beach and he just kept walking 
as he's walking, you know, his feet are in the sand. He left the knife over at the, the freaking porch. Did he really have a clear idea of what he was about to do? Not sure. I don't know if we'll ever know. I mean, his psychologists and law enforcement probably know. But us, the public, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what he was thinking, besides the fact that he said he saw her and he wanted to kill her. So he continued down the beach when Alicia started waking up. And she looked at Aaron, and she may have seen him a few times because Aaron came around for weed. But she didn't really recognize him, and she opened her eyes and was like, Who are you? And chillingly, he tells this little girl, Oh, I'm your dad's friend. It's okay. You're all right. Um, don't worry about it. I needed to take you. Your dad told me it was okay. And I'm going to get get you back real soon. You just, you just go back to sleep. It's going to be fine. She's like, oh, okay. You know, she doesn't really get scared or anything like that. She's pretty cool, chill, probably closes her eyes. And that's because she trusted her dad. She trusted her parents. So if this young man was holding her and cradling her, why would she think otherwise? She's a six-year-old little girl. Think of the safety she must have felt. All this little girl knew was safety and love. So as they're walking, Alicia tells Aaron that she's cold. And he actually takes off his jacket that he's wearing and he wraps her in it and continues walking. As he gets a little further up the beach, he turns onto the, like more of the mainland and he walks to this desolate area and it's an abandoned hotel. It's been abandoned for some time. It's like a shell of a building. And it's here that he does something so deplorable, something so disgusting, something that's just so inhumane that it's just really hard for me to even fathom it. And I'm going to tell you what happened, but I'm not, for once, I'm not going to go into detail. And a lot of the time I do. I don't spare a lot of detail. But this crime is just so heinous that... If you want, you can DM me and I'll send you like the legal documentation that goes over exactly what Alicia's injuries were. And you could read it for yourself because I really was nauseated and I just don't feel comfortable. And this never happens to me. Like I just, I physically, like the words can't leave my mouth what exactly happened. But he did rape Alicia and he ended up killing her. And medical examiners would end up autopsying her body. And it turned out that he used so much force um, around her neck and on her face that he strangled her to death and, well, basically strangled her and smothered her to death at the same time. And he used so much pressure on her little face. So uh, in court, they would go over the evidence and exactly what happened to Alicia and the details just made the court moan and groan and people were just horrified, okay? It was horrifying. Um, I don't even know the terms for, you know, the different players in court over in Scotland. I know they refer to them as the crown. It's not exactly like it is here, but, you know, there's a judge... There's basically a jury. Don't know the actual terms for them. I probably should have researched that, so I apologize. But really, I'm focusing more on this case than the actual players. But needless to say, 
the evidence was provided and the medical examiner stated that the injuries that Alicia sustained were catastrophic to her genitalia. And I'm going to leave it at that. Again, if you guys want the legal documentation, that's fine. I mean, I had to read it. I'm one of those people that um, I just love to torture myself, I guess. But again, my curiosity got the best of me and I read those documents and they're goddamn horrid. Now, what's worse about this is that in court, when they're going over this evidence and exactly what happened to Alicia's, you know, private areas, Aaron started to laugh. You know, it's just, it's just sickening, but that's how evil this 16 year old is. But we're gonna rewind a little bit and we're gonna go back. So the injuries that Alicia sustained, the attack that she went through was not quick by any means. Aaron Campbell took his time because he's a monster. He truly is. And you know me, I'm a very empathetic and sympathetic person, especially to criminals. And usually when you have a killer like this or you have serial killers, they are victims on their own. Okay, like, and I know for some people, you're probably cursing me out, but it's just the goddamn truth of it. Violence begets, I'm sorry, violence begets violence. So killers aren't just born, okay? They're created, they're molded through multiple variables. And I know in a lot of my episodes, I have said this before, and I'm going to repeat it till the day I die, but it's true. You're born with a certain personality type, you're born with certain personality traits, and your unique life experiences end up affecting you. And that's what happened for Aaron Campbell. Now, we'll never know exactly when, what went on in his home. Well, we only know that his mom was not very loving, um, even though she seemed like she was. I guess she wasn't loving in the way that he needed her to be. She wasn't nurturing. When you're an alcoholic, it's just kind of inevitable. You do, There is negligence between you and your child. There is something that you're not giving your child that they need. And um, it's a lot more complicated than me just state, like stating it like that. But um, there just was a disconnect between the two and their relationship. That's the best way I can put it. And the father not being present, clearly something was manifesting at a very young age for Aaron Campbell. Now, some of his friends would say that they worried about him a lot. And his one friend was a female and she had been talking to Aaron through text message. And there was one night not too long before this that Aaron was watching a murder documentary and he told her, you know, I would love to murder someone just for the lifetime experience, like just to experience it once. And again, Aaron always made comments like this and they just took it as him being edgy or a lot of the kids think that. And we see that even in cases that are older than this one where, you know, kids hear their friends say some messed up things or things that are kind of weird and they just kind of go unnoticed. They slip through the cracks and they don't tell anybody. But you see, Aaron Campbell was also on the watchful eye of law enforcement because he had a dark history and it was not addressed nearly as soon as it should have been. Aaron actually had killed cats before. He had skinned cats alive. 
he was setting fires and he was addressed for setting fires, but nobody really ever addressed him for killing cats, which I'm sorry, but these are all things that really are the starter pack for a serial killer or a murderer. You know, you start with arson, you start killing smaller animals to feel that control and everything. And soon enough, it doesn't become enough anymore. You get this bloodlust and eventually you act out on it. So, of course, these are huge signs that nobody was really addressing for Aaron Campbell. So clearly there was something really deeply embedded in him that was blooming. I don't even want to say blooming because blooming is like a flower. It's beauty. It was really just, I don't know. It kind of reminds me of like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things. Like it starts as that cute little little Demogorgon and then it becomes that ugly, heinous monster. And that's what was happening. He was a monster. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. He did not look like somebody who can who could commit the atrocity that he committed. But after he was finished with Alicia McPhail, he headed home. He left her body there, naked, threw his clothing, some of his clothing, into the ocean, and set off on his way home to go take a shower. He'd go home to take a shower, and after he showered, he went to go look for his phone, and he realized, shit, my fucking phone is missing. He left his phone at the scene of the crime. So after taking a shower, it had to be like early daybreak, um, early dawn. There, It was a little light out, and he returned to the scene of the murder of Alicia. And there she was, laying naked and alone, dead. And he had no remorse or regard for that. He just picked up his phone and went back home. Obviously, the next morning would come. It'd be around like 6.30 in the morning. It was actually like 6 in the morning. And Alicia's grandfather would wake up for work. And his worst fear had just come true. He looked in Alicia's room and she was gone. Her bedding was kind of just pulled up. She was gone where was she and this just makes me wonder like how bad the grandparents have had to have felt because they left their door unlocked and I know like I'm not trying to blame them at all don't get me wrong everybody on the Isle of Butte was doing that but you know if everybody jumped off the bridge are you gonna fall you know what I'm saying it's one of those things but when you're brought up on such a safe island safe environment it's just what you become accustomed to and it's just scary, especially when you're, you have a child's bedroom right next to the front door. You would think that maybe you'd be a little more precautious, but I'm not here to judge and I'm not here to do any of those negative things. But needless to say, I could not imagine the immense sense of fear and guilt that was going through these grandparents. By 6.30 in the morning, they filed a missing persons report. By 9 a.m., somebody, a member of the public, was walking along the beach and walking around that area when they stumbled upon the horrifying and dreadful sight of little Alicia McPhail. And they immediately called the authorities and police were right on it, okay? They, They were wasting no time. They were already searching for her. And this is what they found. And the most devastating part of this is that it went into like a Facebook group, like one of those group pages where you talk about like the community and all this stuff when you're like a member. And that's how Georgina Lochrane, Alicia's mother, would find out that her daughter was murdered. 
her six-year-old baby girl, was murdered and taken from her home. It was downright painful for her, as you could imagine. So, of course, everyone is sent into a tizzy. The whole Isle of Butte is like, who the fuck killed one of our people? Who killed one of us? And the scarier part was that they knew it was more than likely a local. Of course, there were people speculating and saying, like, it had to be somebody who wasn't one of us. It had to be. But that's just what you do. You never want to believe one of your own would kill your own. So the hunt was on. People were questioning each other, questioning their neighbors. The police were trying to figure things out. They were going like door to door to try to eliminate any possibilities. And, you know, they were seeing if anybody had like the ring doorbell surveillance footage or any type of security footage around their home. And of course, as the universe would have it, um, Aaron Campbell's mother would end up providing surveillance footage that would incriminate her own son to police. So, of course, she asked Aaron, you know, where were you? Did you hear that this little girl is missing? Like, oh my gosh. Little did she know that actually Tony and Rob finally text texted um, Aaron back in the morning and was like, yo, dude, sorry I didn't answer you um, about the weed last night, but oh my god our daughter's my daughter's missing um alicia's missing and he just responds oh i'm sure she couldn't have gone that far like she'll come it will be fine you'll find her and yeah no problem i got my weed from somebody else now that was paraphrased but that was mainly what was said the conversation that was exchanged so Aaron's mom was like, where were you last night? Were you home? And he's like, yeah, I was home. Of course I was home. And, you know, she has no reason not to believe him. So she's like, I want to help, like, rule people, like, rule us out, rule my son out, rule myself out. I'm just going to hand this over to help the investigation. Like, she was genuinely concerned about Alicia McPhail. So she was part of the search party even that morning, and she had no problem handing over that CCTV footage. And police looked through it and they found something sinister okay something terrifying Aaron had left his home around 2 a.m and he didn't return until maybe 4 a.m so where was he for all of that time where was he and that was the time they estimated that Alicia would have went missing so clearly they're like he's a suspect but not only that, they continue to watch the footage. He gets back around 4 a.m. And like a half hour, 40 minutes later, he's leaving his house again. Of course, you and I know that he was returning to the scene to go get his phone. He took a shower and went back. So the footage catches all of that. He has no alibi. And he's trying to say, you know, like, I just got weed. And I went out and I smoked it. That's what I was doing. Because, of course, police find that. And... They're like, okay, we need to start questioning people. They're questioning his friends. Of course, they know about the party. They know he polished off a bottle and a half of wine. All of this stuff starts to come up. The fact that he had also been on police radar was known to law enforcement. So it started to seem like a very eerie picture was being painted. And Aaron Campbell was it. They end up charging him for the murder of Alicia McPhail. So, of course... The bastard, the sick bastard, pleads not guilty. And a trial ensues. They go to trial. And 
it's just so fucked up what he does. Basically, the evidence is presented, and like I said, the horrible injuries are shown, um, photographs of the injuries, photographs of Alicia's body, evidence, DNA matches from Aaron that were on Alicia's body were matched to him, and it was semen. Um, blood, what have you. You know, his sweatshirt's found in the water. They locate the missing steak knife um, on the front porch, basically, of Alicia's grandparents' home. All of this stuff, all of this incriminating evidence is presented against him. And what does the defense pull out of their ass? Well, Aaron Campbell says, Hey guys, yeah, I'm not guilty. This is actually what happened. I had been having sex with Tony, Robert's girlfriend, Alicia's father's girlfriend, if you guys can't don't really remember the players here he says i've been having sex with tony and honestly tony has wanted nothing more than to get rid of alicia she gets like too much attention all this stuff she really was kind of tired of her and was like tired of georgina kind of wanted to get back at her you know the whole the whole nine so she framed me she must have saved like my my sperm or whatever and you know planted it on the body and here we are and now she's she's got me framed for murder and I'm sorry that that's all just paraphrased of course and um the jury's probably like what the fuck like is he serious so Tony is put on the stand her character is a hundred percent being dragged through the mud and you have to understand in Scotland at the time because he was a minor Aaron Campbell his name wasn't even publicized it wasn't in the newspapers or anything like that but was Tony's? Oh, yeah, 100%. This innocent woman, her name being slung through the mud, being accused of having sex with the 16-year-old, mind you, mind you. And imagine that was true. That means not only is she planting murder on this um, adolescent, but she was having sex with a minor. That's illegal. All of these horrible things. She was just targeted. So... Of course, police are looking for more of a motive and, you know, um, the prosecution and everything. They already know what's up here. They know the story from Robert and there was definitely a revenge component to this murder. Obviously, there was bloodlust involved, like Aaron wanted to kill somebody and he was given the opportunity. The opportunity was presented right in front of him. So he took it and, you know, he wanted revenge on Robert anyway for the whole weed situation. So why not? He was a pretty angry little shit, to say the least, okay? He was a very angry kid. And this is this is it. This is what he was doing. He's just, he's a monster. He's a piece of crap. Hate to say it. I can sympathize and empathize all I can. Understand that these killers go through whatever they go through. You know, you look at Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and the abuse, the abuse he sustained uh, from his father just god awful like you you picture these little boys or girls depending on the killer and you hear what their gruesome childhoods were like and you just you just want to hold them and coddle them and make everything better and then you get to this point where you find out what they did what they do and you're just like all is lost it really is someone like aaron campbell could never be rehabilitated someone who laughs at the evidence who pins a murder on somebody awful it's just goddamn awful and needless to say he ends up 
pointing his finger at Tony saying, yep, she did this, she did this, all for him to be like, yeah, never mind. Like, I did it. Okay. Yeah, I, I did it. It was me, you know, and I'm I'm kind of happy with how it turned out. I'm, I'm satisfied with my work and I'm happy with the way it went down. And I really took my time. That's what he would end up telling this, his freaking therapist and psychologist. He would say, I was quite satisfied with the murder. He thought it was funny. So before he was actually sentenced, um, because the jury within three hours after being presented all the evidence and his bullshit defense, they're like, oh, no, 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 honey, this guy's guilty. But before they could even say you're guilty, you know, the jury has found you guilty. The little the little shit confesses and just says, yep, mm -hmm, I'm going to confess to the crime and I'm quite satisfied with it. And all you can hear is his poor mother screaming at him is Alicia's mother, Georgina. She had to leave the courtroom multiple times. It was just horrible, horrible to watch. And I haven't been able to find like a video where you can watch the whole hearing or the whole trial and everything, but I've been able to find snippets and it's just so, so disturbing and upsetting hearing Georgina and Robert in the background and her grandparents, her whole family just moaning and groaning and sobbing like they should like oh my god it's just horrible what what this little shit took away from them is just I can't wrap my head around it you know I can't I can't it's just awful and the only thing I'm really happy about is the fact that nobody showed up for him and I'm sorry but like I it's hard to say, you know, because I don't really know what his childhood was like. We don't truly know. You never know what goes on behind closed doors. And someone like Richard Ramirez, like, like I was saying, you know what he went through and it was awful. But then you have someone like Aaron Campbell who had a detached mother who um, was an alcoholic. We don't really know if there was mental, um, mental or verbal abuse going on. He states there was, but you know, nobody was ever in the home with them. And obviously something had to have happened for him to be this messed up in the head. Um, something had to have ensued. But regardless, nobody showed up for him. None of his family members, his mother and father completely disowned him. His other family members did as well. I think his father sees him in prison now, but um, at the time, like, wouldn't step foot near him. Like, they were just disgusted and how could you not especially reading what he did to that little girl um and the catastrophic injuries he left on her if that was my son I wouldn't I would probably never be able to um see him again and I know that's easier said than done um knowing me I probably would go see to go see my son I probably would but I, I don't know how. I don't know how you could. But I guess you don't know until you're in the moment. And I pray to God I'm never in a moment like that where I ever have to come up with the decision or wonder um, if I would actually go see my murder murderer son. And I hope that none of you ever have to go through that either. But this was really a downer, you know? <laughs> really a downer of an episode. So I'm sorry I'm super glum telling you guys this story. But going further, there really is not much more to the story. Alicia's family is forever heartbroken. They will never be the same. And the scary thing about Scotland is like, 
you know, as minors, you're given like whatever sentence. And I think he was given the maximum sentence of like 27 years in prison. And then he appealed and it actually got reduced. Let me let me know how that happens. Riddle me that. Especially like when a judge saw him laughing at the evidence being presented and then him smirking at the mother and the family members and him just sitting there with no remorse throughout the whole trial. Like, it's just disgusting. I would not ever reduce that asshole sentence. Like, just the way he acted, he was very smitten, very just no remorse, you know? Like, he thought it was a game. He thought it was funny. He was proud of what he did. And he said that he was happy to have taken so long with Alicia because he knew in the moment what he was doing was going to be like the first and last time he'd be able to do that. He knew that he was going to get caught and he didn't even try to hide it. So, of course, he's probably going to serve his maximum 23 years and then be up for something that's similar to parole. And I hope to God they never let him out because I'm so sorry. But somebody whose mind is that deep, that that far gone... That's like the Mariana Trench of hell. Okay, that's how deep that goes. And I don't think there's any rehabilitation there. I don't think he will ever feel an ounce of remorse for what he did. And I wish I kind of knew more of what's going on with him in prison. So if any of you listeners do know um, how he's doing, I know I read an article that people in his prison hate him. And you know you know how that goes. Usually if you're in prison and you, you like are a child molester or killer which he's a child rapist and a killer, you don't do well in prison, but he's kept in special special population. So I think 23 hours throughout the day, 23 hours a day, I mean, he's alone. I think he's let out for like one hour. And, you know, he goes through therapy and counseling and all of that stuff, which good luck. I don't see how that's going to help you. But um, that's pretty much the extent of what we know. And then Georgina has been on the news and everything to talk about what has happened. Very little media coverage, though, for the family, because I'm sure like you just you you want to like not be bothered about this and not be questioned a million times about it, because the fact of the matter remains that this monster took your kid away and your six-year-old innocent child who trusted her grandparents and her parents and came from a really loving home and went to bed watching goddamn Peppa Pig. Like, it's just horrible. You don't, like, you just re-victimize the parents, you know, the more you ask them questions, I feel. And I mean, if that's something they want to do, they want to answer questions or they want to publicly speak about it on their own, that's something that some parents do to keep the memory alive of their child. But I don't think that's really the case. Like, I think, of course, they're, they'll always remember their child, but who really wants to remember the fact that their child was gruesomely murdered? I mean, it's not something you could ever forget, but you're stuck with that in your brain for the rest of your life. To constantly talk about it would probably drive you insane. But that pretty much summarizes the case of Alicia McPhail. Her life was taken way too soon from her and her loved ones and just... I hope you guys take away from this that um, whether you have kids now or whether you end up having children, you really hone in to those, you know, key factors that really should be red flags like the fire setting, the arson and 
killing small animals, all of that stuff is big, big red flags. And if you know a child like that, or it's, it is your child, go get them help. Go, please. Like, I know it's a scary thing, especially when you actually have a kid that's doing that. I don't know if any of you have ever watched the movie. We need to talk about Kevin. Oh my God, such a good movie. But just like this case, the movie will leave you very upset and disturbed. But it's the same thing. Like, you know, you don't really want to admit that your kid's bad or does something that is bad. But if you can get them help, the sooner the better, you know, help them take care of their problems. The issue with that, though, is that most of the time when, you know, you've got a killer like this, you usually have parents who aren't paying attention and who don't care as much as they should or are negligent in one way or another. And that's how these kids slip through the um, the cracks. And that's how you get an Aaron Campbell. But if you are in a situation or a predicament like that, make sure you're reaching out to somebody. If it's your friend who's talking about things like that, you should probably reach out to somebody if you're a teenager and you have a teenage friend who talks about like killing people or what it would be like to murder someone um you should probably reach out to an adult or someone if you see something say something i know it sounds so corny but it's so true and who knows you can end up preventing something like this from unfolding so that is really the takeaway of today's episode and to please people, please lock your doors. I don't care if you live in Weenie Hut Jr. If you if you're a SpongeBob fan, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you don't know what I'm talking about. But I don't care if you live in Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Lock your damn doors because you can never be too sure, and you can never trust anyone. I think the Isle of Butte had like a crime like some type of crime case I don't know if it was a murder or something less than that and the last time something like that happened was like in the 70s and then fast forward to 2018 and you have a 16 year old murdering a little innocent six-year-old a lot of the media reports and like news articles that I read about this really honed in to the fact that Aaron played violent video games and tried you know, questioning like, oh, is it the video games that caused this? And honestly, I really don't think it is because I play some pretty violent video games. My husband plays some, you know, harsh, violent video games and a lot of my friends do. And you don't see them turning into killers, but I guess it could mess with you a little bit. Um, But only if you already have problems if you're already a fire fire setter I don't I'm not trying to laugh but um only if you're a fire setter and you're killing little animals and you're doing stuff like that I mean could it help you live out your fantasy yes but eventually it's not going to be enough but no I do not believe that video games cause people to kill other people or commit crimes I think that it's an outlet for a while and then like I said for a while it uh, works for a little bit and then it doesn't. So yeah. Also, they mention the fact that, and when I say they, I mean the news, they really focus on the fact that um, Aaron was really into Slender Man and they wonder if there's like some type of component to Slender Man and um, the violence that young people are like have caused because, you know, you've got Aaron, who was into Slender Man and then ended up murdering little Alicia. And then if you go way back into the beginning of my podcast episodes, I have an episode called Fear the Slender Man. And it's all about these two little girls who um, try to kill 
their little friend Peyton because Slender Man told them to do it. But again, um, no, I don't believe that the video game is what prompted them to kill people. I think that the ringleader, Morgan Geyser, had mental health issues and, um, you know, I guess not peer pressured. I don't want to say peer pressured because they both kind of did it together and willingly. But, you know, it was like the blind leading the blind. The ringleader was like, yeah, let's do it. And the other one's like, okay, if you do it, I'll do it. And together they tried stabbing their friend Peyton to death. And if you guys want to hear that episode, you could go listen to one of my earlier episodes called Fear the Slender Man. And I apologize because the audio is botched compared to these um, newer episodes. But regardless, I don't think the video games are what causes these murders. I don't think that it really adds to the idea of murder. Like I said, I think it's more of an outlet. And then for a while, it doesn't work anymore. And then um, in the case of like Morgan Geyser, I think that I think that those children should have should not have been playing those games with the mental like health issues that they had because they started living in this fantasy world where they kind of warped reality into the game and there's so much more behind that it's not just yes they loved this violent video game and they were inspired by slender man to kill people no i think it got really contorted in their brain and they ended up acting out a reality that was really fantasy so you could go listen to that episode if you want to hear more t- like more of my take on that but had to throw that in there because a lot of um, news articles and um, other people who have covered this case, they always bring that up. So I've got to touch base on it. But other than that, that concludes our episode for this week. And now I'm going to go drink a can of Coca-Cola and cuddle with my bat piggy, Kylo. Because if you guys didn't know, um, Coca-Cola is uh, what leads me to find happiness. I know that sounds so horrible. So it is so bad for you. But it's true. When I'm really stressed out or when I'm just like very sad, I drink a can of Coke and it makes me feel so much better. So that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to go put some acid in my body and cuddle with my dog and nobody judge me. But I'm sorry if I left you guys depressed. It was actually really difficult for me to get through that episode. So I apologize if I seemed like a little wonky or a little like glum. Um, These topics tend to do that to us podcasters. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for giving Alicia's story a listen. Remember her name. Um, Aaron Campbell is the killer here, but he's nowhere near as important as this little girl whose life was taken way too early. So if you guys spread awareness, make sure you never forget Alicia's name because that's what her mother Georgina wants the most. There was actually a documentary from BBC that was um, filmed And don't get me wrong, there's a lot of um, information there, a lot of details about the case and everything. And it's very useful to understand the psychology behind this monster and whatnot. But Georgina really was against this documentary because she did not want his name out there. She wanted Alicia's name out there. And I hope she knows now that nobody will ever forget her daughter's name and her name is way more important than his and her memory is way more important than his and I hope that you guys think that for every case we go over the people whose lives are lost by these depraved killers the victims that's that's who is important and I feel like a lot of the true crime community forgets that sometimes 
And I've been seeing recently online, you know, a lot of people like making jokes about like these killers and whatnot and memes. And, you know, then there's some parts of the true crime community that gets like really insulted by that. And I'm not one of those people like I'm very Switzerland to say like I I could take a good joke and everything. But then I could take the people who kind of um, glamorize killers and put like, um, I don't know, pictures of like Richard Ramirez on a t-shirt with hearts and flowers. And yeah, that kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies and I probably won't really talk to you because there's something probably not right with you in the head. And I can respect that, but you're just staying out of my bubble. You're staying way far away from my juju. You know what I'm saying? But um, it's important to always remember the victims here and not glamorize the killers because they don't deserve that in any way shape or form if you want to pay any homage to them it's like as in the killers because they are victims in their own sense it should be trying to understand what led them to become the monsters that they are and understand the psychology so we can make society better and this world that we live in a better place by raising children correctly so that is all I have left to say before I keep going in circles and rambling. So I am going to sign off now and go get that wonderful bubbly can of pop and call it a night. And I mean, it might be day for you because you're listening to this on a Tuesday. So happy Tuesday, people. I hope you have a wonderful week. Stay tuned um, because I'm going to be releasing more content. I'm trying to do more Instagram reels and more Instagram lives and I've been on TikTok a lot more so if you guys follow me on those platforms you know I've been doing some more um posting than usual so check me out over at crime ghoul underscore on Instagram TikTok you could find me crime ghoul Facebook Twitter crime ghoul and yeah come chat come talk to me I've been talking to a lot of people and having fantastic um conversations and discussions about true crime so I really enjoy that. I love talking to everybody. I like friends who like to discuss these things. So shout out to all of you cool people. Other than that, if you're looking to help me or donate in any way um, to help support the show, you can go check out my um, link tree that's in my bio on my Crime Ghoul account on Instagram, which again is Crime Ghoul underscore. And there you will find all the ways that you could help support the show, whether it's freeways or buying me a coffee while I'm researching or checking out my brand new shop Ghoul's Boutique that launches today today the day you're getting this episode so head over to Ghoul's Boutique it is um, my other Instagram account and I will be posting on my Crime Ghoul Instagram so you guys can find the link to go over there the shop is really cool I've been working so hard to get that going and I'm really excited to bring it to life and to show you guys what I've been creating since February. Yeah, a lot goes into building an online shop, so definitely go check it out. It will be clothing that is um, for men and women, boys and girls, or ghosts and ghouls, I do prefer to say. Um, but the first inventory that is going to be launched on my website today is really for women and that's just because I'm trying to get the website started so all my ghosts out there don't worry men I've got some really cool styles coming your way so stay tuned for that and thank you so much for tuning into my episode today go give me a five-star rating on Google review oh Google well yeah Google and Apple Podcasts yeah, go go leave me those stars, please. Or leave me a nice comment if you think I did a super good job. 
And other than that, I hope to see you around social media. I hope to see you at my launch tomorrow. And thank you again for listening. Love you guys. Be safe. And see you next week. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.